All right, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Chirgrosi podcast. That's me. I'm really excited about what's about to transpire. I'm back in Asheville, North Carolina, in East Asheville. We're at a beautiful home here, surrounded by birds and butterflies and trees and flowers. And uh, I'm really excited about my guest today. He's a longtime friend of mine. He's got a lot of wisdom to share, and I'm excited for him to share that with you right now, Brad Leaf. Welcome, sir. <clears throat> Why did I just call you sir? I don't know, and I, I'm no longer Brad Leaf. That was a, a whimsical name that went for about 10 years. Uh-huh. So um, my name is Brad Amberhart. I'm... Welcome, Brad Amberhart. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm really honored to have known Brian long enough that he's known all the renditions of my names, mm-hmm. or at least two or three of them. Yeah, was it Roots in there at some point? Um, I have a secret name now that used to be secret until you just said it. (laughs) 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 But um, no, I'm Brad Amberhart, and I'm really excited uh, about Brian's choice to share with the world in the medium of voice, specifically audio, which doesn't require someone to look at a screen. It allows you to listen while you're in your car, while you're doing your exercise, or even while you're playing golf or making love. You can... Or working out. Yes, uh-huh. exercising like on a treadmill. Yeah. Um, you can feel the sound, the vibration uh, emanating from us and coming through into life. I, I love this medium. So thank you, Brian, for your podcast commitment. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is a, I've really been enjoying this. And we've been asking, I've been asking people this question what is Tantra? So uh, it seems to be a word that is defined in many different ways by many different people. There's a lot of confusion out there about what exactly it means. Um, so I would like to start off by asking you, what is Tantra? Well, thank you for asking me. Um, You're welcome. The first thing I would say is Tantra has as many interpretations and meanings as the number of people who practice it. Mm-hmm. So if you were to ask uh, 500 million people on planet Earth who say they're practicing Tantra what it means, you would need all 500,000 answers to make the whole picture. Mm -hmm. So that's my first response. Mm -hmm. And what's your second response? My second response is, uh, what does Tantra mean to me and what is the best way that I can find to describe this path? So for me... uh, if some, when someone asks me what is Tantra, as I look at this cardinal right outside the window, it's a red bird. My mother says when red birds come, it's the spirit of someone who is no longer with us on earth coming back to visit. Mm. And that her mother told her that. Mm. So one of the first things I love to say is uh, Tantra is the flourishing of the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, in Tantra, my teacher said there is no masculine power. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, what? And he said, well, um, true power is a surge of energy that is so big that it's unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And the only role of um, the masculine within each of our bodies is to hold enough space for the flourishing of the divine feminine in every person in the form of creativity and giving birth. Even... Um, People who identify as men are giving birth every day to something new. 
Um, women have the natural ability to give birth to human beings, to actually form human bodies within them and birth that. Men who uh, don't have that ability, um, who are studying Tantra, might really take up the exercise of seeing everything that we create in our lives as a birth. So I still didn't get around to my answer. I, I would say the the most succinct and beautiful answer beyond what I just said about what is Tantra that I could give, although that was really beautiful, right? Yeah, that was beautiful. I, I would say um, Tantra is a path of learning and discovery and experimentation, which prompts a person to find the marriage uh, of the masculine and the feminine within them. Um, Tantra is a pathway uh, in which pleasure has the power to bring healing. Uh, Tantra is a pathway of multiple realities in which there is much more happening in every given moment than what meets the eye. The, there are millions of things happening right now in the second. My ancestors are in this room. There are angels and spirits present. Um, the animals are speaking to me. These are not realities that we hear in our ordinary reality when we're listening to the radio. So Tantra is a science and a pathway of discovering multiple realities through experimentation. In order for an experiment to work, you have to pay attention to what's happening every moment. So when people speak of Tantra in the sexual sense, um, it's about trying things new ways, seeing what happens when we do an experiment with our sex that is uh, outside of the assumption that we see in every single script and every single porno that we watch. You know, what would happen if we actually went through an entire sexual experience without making any sound? Most people have done that a lot. What would happen if we went through a whole sexual experience and made lots of noise? How would that affect us? What would happen if we stopped in the middle of sexual ecstasy and just sat still and breathed? And then there's the classical sexual tantric experiment. What would happen for a man if he went through an entire sexual encounter without ejaculating? Um, because of that one experiment out of millions that we can do in Tantra, many people have uh, well distorted the perception of what Tantra is to think it means having sex without ejaculation. And the reason people think that is that um, ejaculation is an assumption for most men having sex. So to refrain from doing what you think you have to do in order to define an experience is a radical act. Tantra is about radical acts of refraining from assumptions, trying things new ways, and seeing what happens. There's a term that uh, is really popular now. Uh, it's interesting. The term is, you hear, it's in the Silicon Valley, the tech world, and corporate world even, disruptive. This is disruptive. <laughs> Which used to be a negative word, you know. When we were younger, it was like this is disruptive. Is like you're if you're disruptive in class, that's uh -huh. like bad, right? Uh -huh. But they're using it now in a positive sense. Like this is disruptive. This is the next big thing. This is the next. This is the new thing that's going to take over. It's disruptive, and it, it, it the word strikes me as as something that you're pointing at of like we can get stuck in these routines or just unconsciously following the same patterns. Nine to five job, pick up the paycheck, see the wife. You know, the all the same, you know, and like you get in these routines and you're just like stuck and you're just like, there's no energy, there's no life force. And it, maybe some practices that are disruptive that kind of break things open or open things up. And the thing that struck me about what you're talking about with the feminine, 
is connecting to the creative energy. So as, as opposed to just being this unconscious pattern, maybe Tantra and Tantric practices is opening you up to be present in the moment and c connect to the creative energy that's alive inside you, but you didn't have awareness or access of. Right. Absolutely. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> wow. How many times have I ever told you that? <laughs> Brian and I lived together like an hour and a half and we were like our hermits in our rooms, like working on our projects and we'd come out sometimes and I'd go hours and not talk to him. But, you know, I think he kind of liked it. But very rarely did I ever say, yeah, I totally agree with you. But I agree with everything you said. And um, disruptive is a very interesting word. Um, it's something we're taught to fear. You know, if you're a teacher and there's a disruptive, disruptive person in class, what are you going to do about this? And I think I would love to change the word temporarily, at least, as an experiment and say eruptive. Nice. Because um, I think of Kali... I think of Pele, um, these classical renditions of the goddess. You know, the goddess is not always benevolent. She's not always the gentle one that gives birth to flowers. She also gives birth to lava. She gives birth to massive storms. Um, many people even say um, what we're experiencing now is a tantric eruption in the world um, with the storms, the climate change, the earthquakes, natural phenomena that are, uh, and disease mm -hmm. that are taking us out. Um, you know, how could a benevolent God or goddess ever let this happen? And that's the hardest part of Tantra is it's fucking scary. Am I allowed to say fucking in this podcast? Yeah, I think so. Because um, it just happens. I won't do it anymore. Um, I want this to be accessible to um, people everywhere and I would like it to be accessible rather than repellent, you know, uh -huh. so be careful about what I, about the words I use that push buttons. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, uh, Tantra is often about pushing buttons and it's, it is. it's scary because we don't want to imagine take our lives being taken by a gigantic tidal wave. Mm. Um, so part of the study of Tantra is the relationship between death and rebirth. And frankly, I, um, I was asked to teach Tantra to uh, four male porn stars last fall. And I made, we, we had it in a beautiful retreat setting and we filmed it all. It's available on YouTube. <laughs> you can look up Brad Amberhart Tantra Retreat for Porn Stars. But what I did is I printed out these flyers to tell these guys about Tantra. And one of the things I wrote on the flyer is one I still keep in my office. And it says, um, this moment is alive and on fire and dying to give birth to the next moment. Um, it is impossible for anything to be born without um, something dying until you absolutely can't really see the difference anymore. When my grandmother, my best friend of 40 years died, um, I actually helped birth her into the realm of the spirit. So death is a birth into the realm of the spirit. That's not easy to say when we're in the middle of an 8.4 earthquake in Los Angeles or when the tsunami wave is coming. I mean, and this is our ultimate terror. And, and yet, frankly, um, oh my God, what can I say in this podcast? Say Frank whatever you want. Be authentic. Well, frankly, terror Terror, fear, mm -hmm. is a first chakra issue. Yeah. 
Um, that's why some of the most thriving communities I've been in are at the base of a volcano. Mm. Because there's a threat every moment that life could be taken away. Mm-hmm. And yet, people who live on that edge thrive in the presence of the divine because there has to be an, a, a letting go, a complete let go. And honestly, the best way I've found to teach people that, specifically men, is um, anal play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also true for women. Uh, I can't really single out men and say that we need it more, except, um, you know, we have a lot of issues. We hold a lot of fear. Um, and the ultimate act of surrender is to allow the first chakra to open. Um, it's a delicate topic. Don't be a tight ass. Yeah. You know, you remember that book that I had in my house by those two beautiful women? It was called Cockfidence. Cock, yes. And these women uh, said the term tight ass didn't come about accidentally. Right. And, um, you know, wh- whatever your sexual orientation is, uh, or whomever your partners are, or whatever gender they are, um, the opening of the first chakra is really vital on this planet, which is why uh, I've been teaming up with uh, people of all genders, including... Um, my female friends to offer workshops about opening the first chakra and it's difficult because there's so much emotion in the room and so much fear i did this at the base of a volcano in hawaii and mm-hmm. i i watched the looks on people's faces and i told them the only way we're going to get through this is you got to clap your hands and you got to sing while we're doing this butt play demo in the middle of the room mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had 30 people singing um and moving their bodies and drumming while we were doing a demonstration of what happens when a man opens his first chakra. And um, <clears throat> I have friends in the Tantra world who said the first time they saw a demonstration of a man opening his first chakra, they ran out of the room five miles to the next town to get away from it. And these people became Tantra teachers. Mm-hmm. So... Well, that's a good segue for... Thank you. Yes. Because um, this is like... I'm sure people listening are like... What? What? Where did this all begin? That's what I want to know too. Like, where did this all begin? So, like, were you always? Did you always have this consciousness, or where did this? Where did this begin for you? I know you grew up in a, a small town in North Carolina. Right. So, I don't think that there was a lot of tantra teachers in your town. I don't think there were any. Oh my <laughs> God! I'm so glad you asked. Oh yeah, there were. There were. Okay. Yeah, and you're gonna be shocked. Are you ready? Everybody, take a deep I'm breath. I'm ready. Everybody, take a really deep breath. Here we go. Well, my very first Tantra teacher was my grandmother. Because she taught me uh, how to live with an open heart. She taught me how to sing in the face of adversity. Um, She taught me that there was a higher power that guides this whole universe that's beyond my control. Um, she taught me to have a, a certain discipline, you know, a certain amount of parameters around the way that I live my life so that there's enough space for the spontaneous and the fun. Um, most of all, she taught me how to love. And there's a song. Oh, I left my guitar in another room. But there's a song I may sing before the end of this podcast um, about um, how all spiritual traditions of the world that have value and meaning to us and are helpful um, 
are based in love. And, you know, the unifying religion is love. Um, and nobody taught me be that better than my grandmother. You know, you can have, a, no matter how many practices you have or techniques, meditations or ways to breathe, um, if we leave the love out of it, um, we're missing everything. And I didn't realize that my grandmother was my first Tantra teacher until I took up the study of it uh, in my mid-twenties. <clears throat> so uh, how did I find my way to tantric sexuality is a, is a great question, which I'm going to do my best to answer in one minute and a half. Did you know... Um, It came about through a natural desire. I believe I was always on a tantric path and I believe uh, that I was born into that path. And you know, when I was 14 years old, my parents installed a lock on the door of my room because I had a younger sister and um, she would like to just kind of barge in. I think they installed it much younger actually, mm -hmm. but they, that lock served me really well. It was okay for me to lock my door and I, um, there was nobody that told me how guys masturbate. There was nobody in my life that showed me how to do that. I didn't have any sexual connection with another person until I was 22 years old. So from puberty until 22, I developed an ecstatic, uh, auto erotic practice. It's also called masturbation. I didn't know that you use your hand. It's also called jerking off. Right. Oh, I'm so glad that you have such good, beautiful vernacular to use in the podcast. It is called, my dad did tell me it's called jerking off. My dad taught, was very, my parents were very sexually open people. Mm. They didn't walk around the house naked, but they would walk across the hall from the bathroom to a bedroom. They weren't really ashamed of their nudity. And um, they told me that sex was really important um, and that it was for more than making babies. That mm. it was actually... Uh, for people's pleasure. My parents both told me they had a really beautiful ecstatic sex life, even though they, they didn't know the word ecstatic. That's the way they described it. So I grew up in a sex positive environment with people that really urged me to go to church. So there was like, um, there had to be a coexistence of an acceptance of sexuality and religion because my, my elders valued both. They wanted me to be a sexually open person and they wanted me to be a religious person. I grew up Southern Baptist, and fortunately, um, the Baptist church I went to was what was called a moderate Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Even though it was in a small town, and it was not certainly not like incredibly wide open, like they didn't encourage people to be gay. I mean, they didn't even use the word, but um, my church was very affirming um, of a lot, and there was a lot of love there. There was always a tribe of people everywhere around who were looking out for me in a small town. Mm -hmm. I had all kinds of parents and they, they were all loving people and for the most part not judgmental. Now this is all a matter of perception because another person that grew up in that same town would tell you it was total hell, that everybody hated them, they were made fun of, um, that it was like hyper-religious and that there were preachers that told them how to live their lives. And if I searched through my life, I could find plenty of examples. But I, I choose to remember the story uh, that really serves me to this day. You know, we can, we can actually rewrite the past. We actually have the ability and total presence to access the past and the future. And the past is little more than the way we feel about it. 
You know, I'm not making up stories about my past. Everything I'm telling you is true. And there's another reality that's parallel with it, you know, which is uh, uh, alcoholism, um, people that abuse one another. All of this was present in close proximity to me. And, um, and yet, uh, I love the reality that I grew up in a sex positive environment. I grew up in an affirmative religious tradition. And uh, as an adult, I got to take the best of all of it. I got to sit, put it in the uh, sifter, sift out what really was the refinement of what really serves us in this life. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to marry that with um, the indigenous native traditions of North America, as well as the tantric traditions, uh, I began to live a really happy marriage. Mm -hmm. and I, I put a ring on my right hand when I was uh, 30 years old and I pronounced that I would always take care of this body and that everything people had given to me in my life was a gift. Some of it I could sift out and use as compost um, and then what was left were the riches that really became the path of what I consider a tantric life. Mm -hmm. That was more than a minute a half and a half but I think that sums it up pretty well. And you, you came out as gay at some point? Uh, yeah, yeah, 23, one year after I started having uh, sexual experiences with other people, uh, I came out, yeah. Uh -huh. What was that like? Um, it was a death, for sure. Um, my parents thought people would come and burn crosses in their yard. I didn't live there anymore. I lived in Colorado, and I flew home to come out to my parents, the church, everybody in the town knew, and then I left my parents there. Uh -huh. It was like leaving them to deal with it. Uh -huh. I mean, I did it in a loving way. I didn't go like, I'm gonna tell you this, you know, hell with you. I mean, I said, I'm telling you this because I love you. And um, nothing happened. There were no crosses burned in their yard. There were no people that wrote them threatening letters. Although that has happened to a friend of mine in Poland. Yeah. And he had people threaten his mother when he came out to her in Poland. But um, it took 10 years. It took 10 years before um, it felt like my family were actually able to see the merging of my identity as a spiritual leader and my identity as a, a sexually expressive person. To the point that uh, to this day, I'm still asked to officiate funerals in my family. Mm -hmm. um, I'm asked to say prayers whenever a group of people gather. Um, if there's, an, there's one older relative who says prayers, but um, if he's not there, I'm the one that's asked to say the prayer. Um, and that's been really healing for me to know that there is a world in which we can be a priest. Uh, we can be revered um, and looked at to as a leader for people's spiritual path. And we can also be seen as someone who knows something about um, ecstatic sexual connection. There's no one in my family that doesn't know what I do. They know that I teach Tantra and that I'm a sex coach. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet they also ask me to say the prayers and officiate funerals. Um, I've officially become a minister um, so that it's official. Yeah, I officiate weddings, funerals. Um, and this is actually an essence of the Tantric path that we spoke of in the beginning to bring it full circle. The Tantra is the ultimate uh, marriage of opposites. And there's nothing in our culture that seems more opposite than uh, religion and sex. I mean, it's one thing to marry sexuality and spirituality. 
but then to say, I'm actually a religious person. I believe in God. I'm a Christian. You know, people now can say, I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm gay and I have a wonderful sex life. <laughs> like that true. actually is happening. That's you know? true. Yeah. That's that, not my story, by the way. I'm speaking for right. a larger collective of people, you know, who are listening. But that, but that leads into, I think, like a deeper thing here that I think is really important, um, which to me, it's like when I look at your journey, it was, it's a journey of authenticity. It's a journey of basically being yourself, you know, and it feels like Tantra, that's a big part of what Tantric practice is, right? It's like kind of like discovering who you really are and being able to express it in the world and I think like as you move through these early stages of your life you were kind of searching for who you are and you started to discover who you are and then you made which many people don't you made the leap of and I'm going to live my life who I really am in this world right does that feel like that's like kind of the journey that you've been on um well yeah I mean for sure though if there's a unifying principle in my life, it's being true to heart mm-hmm. and following a path of authenticity uh, with love and respect for other people as well as myself. Um, but um, I like to tell people that Tantra is about finding your ultimate purpose. I love saying that Tantra is finding whatever it is you most delight in bringing into the world and recognizing that what you most delight in bringing into the world actually meets the world's greatest need. That when when your ultimate passionate expression meets the hunger of the world, then we have found our tantric path. Um, And I feel deeply and emotionally in my heart, you know, what would it be like if every single one of us were pursuing um, our passion, what we're really in love with in our life? You know, whether it's um, sewing, being a tailor and, and uh, uh, altering people's clothes, <laughs> whether it's being a theatrical performer, or maybe my life's greatest passion is getting into the intricacies of computer programming or uh, building rocket ships um, or uh, making cakes, you know. What is your life's greatest passion like when you lose total track of time and nothing matters anymore. You're just suspended in this infinite beauty. And if you can find that, and that also meets the hunger of the world, then we're living, you know, and that's called wide open Tantra. And I just have to tell a, a short story to back this up that relates to Deepak Chopra. Deepak Cause, Chopra. Because I was so depressed when I was 22 years old, so depressed. And I worked a job I hated. And I went to a therapist. I went to a lot of therapists, but I finally found one that uh, had a connection to Native American spirituality. And she told me to go sit outside and watch what animals would appear to me. And she said they would bring me messages. And she said when I looked at the moon rising that I could say, greetings, grandmother moon. And I said, well, why would I do that? And she said, well, it'll give you a new relationship with uh, the feminine. So I did everything she said. And... Um, she, uh, she recommended I read this book by Deepak Chopra called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. 
And so the seventh law of success, as I, as I recall, I haven't read it again in 15 years. I think I'm going to read it this week before I go to Russia. I need to read this book before I go to Russia. So I think the seventh law of success, if not the sixth, is the law of Dharma. And Deepak Chopra said, find that thing that you love to do with all of your heart. And when you're in the midst of it, you lose track of time. And when you find that, do that more. This is your Dharma. It's your life's calling. And if you continue to do that, uh, it will meet um, a place in the world that is hungry for what you bring. Well, when I was reading that book, I was in love for the first time. Uh, I was in my first long-term relationship and my lover and I um, really had an ecstatic sex life. Um, we, we had a 20-something year age difference and we were just teaching one another. We could not keep ourselves apart because we had so much to teach one another, massive downloads. And one day we had been in a cabin in the mountains and it was snowing and we were making love and we realized that the whole day had come and gone and the, that it was getting dark outside. And I remember what Deepak said, think of the one thing you do when you lose track of time and you don't remember if it's night or day and time goes by effortlessly and you're just so engaged with your purpose. And all I could think was Deepak, are you telling me to be a hoe? <laughs> <laughs> and he was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, now, whether, now I'm a writer, I'm a performer, uh, I teach workshops, and I also coach people one-on-one -on -one in tantric sexuality. I mean, primarily men. I work with men. And uh, when I'm not engaged in ecstatic erotic pleasure for the benefit of myself and other people, I'm engaged in writing. And when I'm engaged in writing, I'm engaged with my whole body. I have a stand-up desk. Right. I mean, can I tell you, Brian? I mean, I, I do my writing while I play. Yeah. You know, my body's alive. Um, I activate my first chakra. You can ask me what that means if you want. And uh, a lot of uh, beauty comes through me now in the path as a tantrika who does exactly what I love, just like Deepak asked me to do in uh -huh. 1997. Interesting, just a reflection on the writing thing. Yeah. Um, I, was, I had an exchange, of, a writing exchange, kind of like a, you know, the old pen pal thing. Um, so I was writing, this was a few months ago. It just was spontaneous, you know, um, just started with a... Some, for some reason, I need to write something about something, but then there was, it started getting this kind of like poetic energy, you know? And I noticed this really distinct thing, and I, and I pointed it out directly to um, the person that I was communicating with. I said, it feels like we're writing with our whole bodies. You know, it actually felt like a physical uh, movement that we were sharing, where a lot of times when you're writing, it's just, it's just your head. It's like the head... Another head, this the brain, the other brain, you know, just just the top part. I'm I'm putting out my head for those who are listening, head to head, you know. But it was like this was coming from like the full body, the heart, the liver, the gut, the second chakra, the first chakra, and coming up, and these words were coming out of it. And it was really beautiful to share in this way and just kind of activate all this, you know. It kind of makes me even think like. It's, there's like this place where physical and spiritual are not even two different things, but it's like this wholeness of a movement that is the integration of both. 
which is the beauty of podcasting. Right. Because we have this technology now where Brian Pergrossi and I are writing uh, beautiful words that are coming directly through the body and a vibration of sound, which, uh, you know, we could play this on a speaker, we could get a transcription program, we could hold our phone up to it and let it uh, do text to voice, and you have a whole article generated through the body. Yeah. Because all of the sound actually can be transmitted directly into written word now through voice to text. Yeah. And we're, we're literally writing through the body. But this brings up a really interesting thing, yeah. which I think Tantra is really about, right? It's like, can you think or can you access the intelligence of your whole body? Because we live in our Western society, our Western culture, people are just thinking with their head, rational, analytical. But can you... Right? Isn't that a big part of what this, this journey is about? It's like being able to access the intelligence of your whole body and let that inform your thoughts, your decisions, your, your actions. Well, it's actually both. Um, we want our body to inform our mind, and we also really need help from our mind. Because mm-hmm. if we don't have our mind, we're fucked. Yeah. And, you know, um, I know people that have two PhDs, and they drive me crazy because they think and they talk too much and philosophize. And then there's me. I'm, a, I'm a, a water practitioner. I do water work in swimming pools and in oceans and lakes. And when I get out of that what water... What is that called? It's called Aguahara. This is a new thing that you've developed in the past. Well, it's developed, developed by Alex Siebenstein. You've been trained in. It's been developed by Alex Siebenstein, a master teacher in Germany. And I'm learning from him in Spain next month. And I learned from his compadres in Mexico last year. So Aguahara means you get into the water and you have an act of surrender into the infinite. And you're able to access levels of consciousness that aren't available every day when we're walking around. And as a practitioner, when I'm holding someone in the water and moving them around, I also access those realms very easily. But then the, the issue is I walk out the door and my mind's on vacation. So what's the problem? I mean, I wish my mind could take a vacation and it does, and yet... You know, you can't be on vacation all the time. So I need that mind to come back and help me do essential things like plan the structure and the programming for the retreats that I'm teaching in the fall and maybe even get my taxes done that I was two years Uh behind on. So the ultimate tantric marriage, and we're speaking of the inner marriage within each person, is some kind of happy marriage between the mind and the body and the heart. Now, in the tantric tradition that I've studied via my teacher, Rudolf Ballantyne, and his teacher, Swami Rama from India, there is a lot of attention to the relationship between what we call the masculine and feminine, which isn't to be confused with male-female. Right. Um, masculine might be equated with uh, yang. Uh, feminine might be equated with yin. It so, feels like this also relates to a word, tapas. Yeah, that's, I'll try to tie that all yeah. in without getting way out there. Mm-hmm. But yin and yang, you know, we could think of the yang uh, as the mind. It's like a descending energy that looks down toward the pelvis. But then there's this pelvic energy that's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do something. And then there's the heart in the middle that's like singing because the pelvis is like feeding the heart. And then the mind's like going, hey, 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 settle down, settle down, settle down, settle down. So sometimes, for instance, right now, I need my mind to go, okay, take a deep breath, Brad. 
we love your creative energy and we want you to talk a little slower. Take a breath. See if you can say it in a few words rather than 1,500 words. This is called a tapas. Um, tapas is a term from Sanskrit um, that is used in the tantric lineage I've studied. And it refers to a level of containment, um, which is also related to yang. Right, and the masculine. Well, it's related more to the, the yin masculine because mm -hmm. every masculine has two parts. Mm -hmm. So the yin masculine is like, okay, okay, we love you. Let's just kind of like uh, bring this in a little bit. Like, you know, Brian is a great example of like yin masculine because he's, he's a man and yet he also has a level of gentility that can kind of hold a space. And that's important for a teacher, you know. Um, and this holding of a space is kin to tapas. Uh, now you think, well, isn't that something you get in a Mediterranean restaurant? <laughs> um, believe it or not, my teacher told me, told me that the word tapas in that sense is also related to the tapas word from Sanskrit. Because when you're eating, you know, and you have all this food on a buffet like we love to do in uh, Cracker Barrel in America. No, they don't have a buffet at Cracker Barrel, right? They do it at the Golden Corral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so go to the Golden Corral and everything's there and you see people loading up their plate. You know, like that plate is piled high and that one person, can they eat all that? And sometimes they do. Sometimes though they pile it on so high they never get finished with it and they don't enjoy it because they're just stuffed. So tapas is also a style of eating. And we call it tapas. It somehow made it from Sanskrit to, to Mediterranean languages because um, you're eating in portions that allow you to fully celebrate the experience. Yeah. So it's a level of containment and amount. It's also very true of uh, Japanese food. I love the style because have you ever noticed it doesn't look like there's anything on that slab they yeah. brought you out except and then and then before you know it you're full because you there's so much energy in life in the food there's yeah. another quality and a depth this is a really interesting topic yeah. because i think this is where a lot of tension and conflict between the masculine and feminine happens where the feminine is the flowing energy and then the masculine the if if the feminine and masculine don't feel like there's love and care and presence and um sensitivity and the feminine feels like you're trying to control me yeah. you know i don't want you to control me um, you're trying to have power over me or you know this kind of thing but if there's a feeling of like oh you're actually trying to do something for my benefit and we're actually dancing together and without any containment or organization or structure like you said earlier I'm just like floundering and I have no sense of direction so I think it's within ourselves and it's within relationship and it's a really rich territory because I think like you know as we observe in the world that those two those two polarities aren't communicating with each other very well, but they can work really beautifully and powerfully, and they, they, they right. need to to be fully whole within ourselves and our relationships. And we play it out in our relationships, and if we can treat every relationship as a learning experience uh, and collect the gold nuggets, mm -hmm. then even if that relationship comes to a close, um, it means that we're better equipped to grow to the next level in the next relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we want to feel ideally people can grow together and change together. And yet sometimes a relationship is for a term for people to learn what they need to do um, to complete a chapter and then open a new one with new insight. 
And when we speak about this, it's easy to go back into him and her, or, you know, even if it's two guys or two women, like there's a masculine and feminine polarity. And I suppose that's true. We need other people to mirror our inner feminine and masculine. And yet at the same time, what I'm really encouraging people to do is think about this conversation within yourself. Um, like think of your mind as the domineering force that's trying to like guide and tell, but we want it to be a gentle guide. And then think of the body and the heart as like going wide open with all your passion. And yet if I run wide open with all my passion right out in the middle of the interstate, it's probably not going to be good. So, um, I'm looking to and praying for the inner parts of me to relate. Um, I think a lot of us can relate to this issue that we struggle every day with. We want to be free. We want to run wild. Um, and then there's the bills to pay. And then there's the people to take care of. And then there's uh, the riding corners of the roof on our house. And how do we find the marriage so work is play that um, there's no longer the clear cut boundary between okay, now I'm working and now, I'm time, now I have time off. And yet there are multiple truths, you know, mm. we need to kind of go home from work. For those of us that work in our house, sometimes we wish that we work somewhere else so we could just go home. So, and at the same time, uh, if we have this project to do and we're calling it work, it might be helpful if we, uh, I mean, so I really don't want to go outside today and tear those vines off the side of the house and get out the paint and the pressure washer. Man, I just so don't want to do it. Well, I look for ways to turn it into play. Um, I might invite a lot of friends over and we pressure wash the house and our underwear and squirt one another down and wrestle. I mean, you know, that would be a good day. It might take twice as long, but who the hell cares if you just had the best day of your life and the house got pressure washed. Right. How do we apply this to the big glow? Um, <laughs> how do we apply it to whatever our business is, uh, whatever big, serious project we're working on in our life? I mean... I was two years behind on my taxes, so I went the other night to my favorite place where I usually go to retreat. Like That's where I go to stop everything and sit in the forest. Way up on a mountain for two days, I camp. But this time, I took my taxes with me. You're like, what? This is supposed to be your time, Brad. You know, This is your time to sit there and meditate. Well, guess what? I got everything I needed. I slept like a baby up there under those balsam fir trees. And in the daytime, I leaned my back against those balsam firs and filled in my taxes. And it was so much more fun than it would have been sitting inside of an office. So I merged, uh, I merged the worlds, you know, mm -hmm. the world of play and so-called work. Um, I didn't lose anything by being up there and my taxes got done. And you, you, you've, made this, you've made this shift to now you've been, as you said, facilitating and teaching and coaching and leading workshops. And you've led some uh, really mind-blowing stuff, right? So, like, what stands out to you as some of the things that you've you've uh, facilitated or led, or um, sessions that you've had that really stand out to you? <laughs> we could do five hours on that, I know, but <laughs> oh no, let's, like, let me change positions. Uh, what do I really want to tell you? There's some so many things I could say. Um, We're gonna have to do a part two. No, 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 we'll sum it up. Yeah, we'll sum it up Like the question was, what is, you know, what is one of the favorite things I've facilitated and, or what 
of some of the favorite sessions. Now, in, in terms of the favorite one-on-one tantric erotic sessions, I have written stories. I'm going to be publishing a book. I don't know what it's going to be called. I think it's going to be Sexually Ecstatic Love Epiphanies by Reverend Brad Amberhart. Um, and you'll get to read lots of stories about what happens one-on-one when the, uh, when the bedroom door is open. Uh, however, I'd love to speak to just uh, one of my favorite uh, workshops or favorite uh, groups that I've led. Um, I really love uh, the ritual that I've been working with that is called Sex as Prayer. Yes, I was wanting you to speak to that, so I'm glad that you chose that one. I haven't done it in a while because um, it's a lot to hold. Uh, I haven't figured out yet what the ideal size group is. It seems to work really well in groups of 25 people. Um, in a group of 160 people once, it was uh, much more difficult. <laughs> so um, in a group, let's say you have uh, 25 people assembled in a, a nice open room who form a circle. And then in the center of the circle, you have all this beautiful padding and you have an altar in the middle with flowers and musical instruments. Uh, I love this setting because I stand in the center of the room and I ask people to close their eyes and meditate and I tell them, take a deep breath. And now on the next breath, I'd like for you to imagine that that was the last breath you ever took in this life and that you're leaving your body, this temple behind, that you spent a whole lifetime in. And now when you're looking back on this body that you lived in, and you're looking back on the life this body lived, what are the most precious moments when you felt fully alive? And then I sing a song with my guitar and I give everybody a little piece of paper and a pencil or pen and they write down the images of uh, what it looks like to flash back on your life when it's over. And what did you savor? The fireflies floating in a lake on the winter solstice, the summer solstice and looking up as the stars came out and the cicadas sang you a serenade. That's what I wrote. I have a stack of these papers on my altar and I sift through them every day and I remember the people I've led ceremony for who flash back on what life meant to them. And after this uh, writing, we put all the papers in the center of the room and the ceremony begins. I begin to sing, people begin to sing in a circle, drum, stand up and dance. And people who feel called step into the center, either alone or with someone they came with, and they begin to engage one another. Uh, people who would rather just engage with uh, one person stay in the circle and hold the circle, and maybe they engage with their lover erotically or sexually. Uh, while in the center of the circle, uh, people who feel called to reach out and touch other people do so. It's all negotiable, you know, people engage in what really brings them delight. And while they're all engaged in ecstasy of multiple forms, you know, ecstasy includes singing, uh, dancing, um, making love. While they're all engaged in that, um, anyone at any time can pick up one of those little pieces of paper and read it aloud to the group. So while people are making love, you're hearing things read aloud like, 
I really lived a life of complete passion and I was in love with everyone I met. Um, I fulfilled my life's purpose of, uh, of helping people find their way home through my writing. Um, I worked in an office and I really loved it and I related to everybody in the office so well that by the end of the day, people were laughing in my presence. These are the things that are being read aloud during lovemaking. Now, when and where have any of us on earth ever seen this happen? 25 people in a room, um, connecting one, with one another in every way from sitting silently in their own space to singing for the group to making love as a couple and even making love as a group. Um, what's a miracle is all that can happen and I'm, I feel I'm doing the best I can to relay what it's like because when I stand in the center of that circle and I'm singing I, I no longer know whether I'm making the music or all the people in the room are making it through my body because the songs, it's, this is why it's so different than pressing a button and pressing play on your iPhone through the speakers because the music that comes through a human body is a reflection and a creation of everybody there. When those songs come through me, the people in that room brought those songs through me. Some of them don't even have words. Some of them are generated in the moment and some of them are songs everybody knows um, until I don't know anymore. Uh, are the people playing me or am I playing these songs for the people? And that to me is the ultimate Tantra, the marriage and the wholeness. And you, you've used, you've talked about and you've used and other, you know, other people that have uh, opened up erotic energy or sexual energy and channel that energy to create healings in people, to manifest beautiful, amazing things on the planet, right? And I think this is something that most people don't even realize they have access to inside them. They just think sexual energy is just this, well, a lot of people think it's a dangerous thing that should be suppressed or repressed, but to access it and then to channel it in different directions. And you have some, some amazing stories you've told me of mm -hmm. things that you've experienced in that way as well, right? Uh, yeah. And what, what comes to me in this moment when you ask this question is uh, so many people, so many of us somehow got the message that our sexual pleasure is lateral, that it goes from me to mm. you and back, that it's, mm. it's horizontal energy that comes from one person to another and back, it's between us. And ultimately, Tantra, uh, when applied to sex, allows us to see our connection is not just being between me and another person. It's between me and something that goes right up through the zenith of the sky and down through the earth. Um, honestly, it's easier to visualize if you make love with your lover with your spines uh, upright. Like if you use the yab-yum position and you sit in someone's lap, and your body to body and your chest to chest and your spinal alignment is such that your spine is a pathway that connects the earth and the heavens. Um, and you begin to breathe and visualize that there is an energy that comes all the way down from the highest star, down through your head, down into the earth, and then it goes out through the base of your spine into the earth and across into your lover and up through their body, out their head and up to the stars and back down this is called a circuit, and it makes it such that the two lovers are connected via a circle, not a line. So rather than the line going from my genitals to her genitals, or his genitals to her genitals, 
it's uh, the genitals are definitely involved, and there definitely is a connection between the genitals, but it's part of a circle. So the genitals form the lower, like the lower part of the circle, and then the circle goes all the way up that his spine, all the way through the crown, into the sky, and back down the other side, and all the way down from the crown, washing down the body like a waterfall of her or him or whoever the other partner is, into the earth, through the earth, back up into that other partner. So you see the two are connected through a circle that includes all of creation. And when we start to think in this bigger picture, um, sex can no longer be what it's been portrayed all of this time. It's not like in, out, wham, bam, this way, that way. It's you and me and us connected with an entire circle of creation mm. so that everything that we share feeds the stars and it shoots out of our head into the sky and it rains back as stardust. Um, I feel these words are vital and uh, I'd like more people to experiment with this and form the visual yourself of your whole body becoming an instrument that spews orgasmic glee into the sky and watch how it rains back on your head or shoot it down into the earth and say thank you. Um, so it's not just a practice of connecting with another person, it's a practice of connecting with the entire universe. Well, if the practice is to connect with the entire universe, you're going to be connected with this other person right. celestially beyond your wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. And it's important people not get confused because... If you do what I just said with sincerity and, uh, and you really are allowing yourself to feel what I'm describing, your connection to the whole universe via a circle that goes through your genitals and up through your heart and your body, if you really do that, you're going to have mind-blowing sex. And it's going to be so good. You're going to go, this is the one. Oh my God, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And then that person never goes home and you're living together in the same house because you want it every day. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, it, it could work. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who will go, yeah, yeah, that worked for me. And there's also the possibility that you take it beyond personal. So what I just shared with this person was so damn good because it included the whole universe. <laughs> <laughs> we fought the whole universe. That's why it was so good. <laughs> and what I, I don't know if this is realistic. Maybe I'm a little bit ahead of the game. Or maybe I'm in the future somewhere. But the vision I see is that every lover we have, when we look in that lover's eyes, we see the same lover. I mean, not the same. I mean, it's not the same person, but we see the same ecstasy, the same joy as we saw with the lover we were with yesterday or tomorrow. And um, those lovers are a piece of the whole. They're a reflection of one lover. Um, I don't know how we'll ever get it disentangled from our psyche that there's supposed to be a lover. Um, and I'm not saying that wouldn't work. I think it's worked for some people, maybe for quite a lot of people. For others of us though, um, who actually have experimented with connecting with numbers, numerous lovers over time, something begins to happen where we realize we can share an orgasmic connection with the whole universe that is uh, 
beyond individuality. It's beyond one person. It's beyond even how they look. I'm currently teaching people how to do this with people they don't even think they're attracted to because we're redefining attraction. What does attraction actually mean if you're about to engage in an activity that can bring health, vitality, and healing to all people involved? You know, if I know that somebody is hurting, and that could be me, you know, and if I'm really hurting, and I am asking for a tantric lover to come and pray with me, that person could be someone that's twice my age, half my age, um, I'm 46, by the way, so they would be over 18. <laughs> it could be somebody twice my age, half my age. It could even be somebody I don't think I'm attracted to. For me, as a gay man, I uh, do tantric lovemaking experiments with women. You know, because truthfully, if those two people are committed to supporting one another and fulfilling our life's dreams and bringing the best possible benefit to our communities, all of our friends and lovers, bringing the maximum possible benefit to our children and to the world, and we come together and make love in the name of that, we're gonna to touch places that, are not, that have not been accessible to humanity until now, at least not since the, um, the disruption, <laughs> the disruption of um, sexually ecstatic delight has been disrupted by a misinterpretation of spirit. Um, you know, the one thing that causes us to scream God over and over and over again uncontrollably is sexual ecstasy. And somehow the separation of uh, our connection to the divine and our connection to our ecstatic body has been the most horrible, uh, destructive force in the universe. You know, the, what do we love so much? I mean, we love it and we fear it. So many of us just really, really want sex fun. And we want to do it guilt-free, and we want to do it in a way that we, dare we say, doesn't hurt anyone's feelings. And yet, if somehow we knew that each one of these encounters was going to ultimately benefit every single person in our life, and was a gift to the world, it would be so different. And if we knew that we get to fly and commune with God in the midst of lovemaking, um, we would be collaborating more with all kinds of partners. Because we want to see the divine. I don't care if you're fat, old, thin, white, black, yellow, I mean, whatever. It's like, are you ready to go with me on an odyssey and connect with the divine? Let's do it. <laughs> didn't you once, uh, didn't you once use sexual energy to cure someone of cancer? Um, wow, how did you remember that? Because <laughs> it's a great story. So you well, share. you know, I didn't realize it had actually happened until I went to Amsterdam last January. I went to Amsterdam to, guess what, to coach porn stars on a porn set with videos that I wrote that were really radically different, and it was really hard. One of them dropped out the first day because Tantra brought up the remembrance of so much of what had happened in his life that, that had kept him from enjoying his body that he couldn't handle it, and he left. So uh, guess what? I had to fill in in some of the videos. <clears throat> I don't know how they turned out yet, but... Uh, I think they were pretty good, but the point I'm trying to tell is while I was in Amsterdam, uh, I connected with two lovers that I had known 10 years ago, and I hadn't seen them since my younger days when they had come over to my little cottage under the mango tree in Key West, and we had made ecstatic love 
there were a couple um, who were older than me and we just had the most joyful sex every year for 10 years when they visited my little island. So I went back to visit them. They were still thriving as a couple. They were very, very happy. They lived in a beautiful apartment in Amsterdam. Um, they had beautiful lives. And uh, one of those men, uh, the last time I'd seen him, had uh, been, he was being treated for prostate cancer. And uh, so I said, you know, I don't think it's time for your body to succumb to something that's going to take you out of this world. And we made love in the name of his health. And uh, his lover and I sandwiched him. Um, uh, one or two of us had a euphoric orgasm. And uh, that's when I realized that orgasm is something people create together. It doesn't matter if I have the orgasm or if you have the orgasm or they have the orgasm. We created it together like a baby. It doesn't mean everybody's got to have their big cum shot. You know what I'm saying? Like one person has an explosive orgasm. If they're in it for the same reason and the same purpose, they created that orgasm. So these two men and I created this orgasm in the name of benefiting his lover that, uh, that he would recover. And 10 years later, I visited him and uh, he said there's no trace of cancer in his body. He hasn't had uh, any more problems. He... Uh, he uh, is really grateful to be alive. And I mean, who could say that it was our sexual encounter 10 years ago that cured him from cancer? I mean, I've been challenged recently by people that say, you know, what scientific proof do you have for X, Y, Z? Um, all I know is um, I've witnessed a lot of miracles in my life. And I used to write my dreams on the wall. I lived in that tiny cottage, the same place I just described, and I covered it with uh, all of the dreams I had. And I wrote them not as I wish, I wrote them as this is. Like, I'm alive, I'm thriving, I have plenty of money, I'm at ease, my, my life is of greater ease and the people around me all prosper. I wrote it on the wall and I made love while I looked at my words for 10 years. And I, I mean, I shot my orgasmic energy all over the walls uh, and everybody that came to my house joined me in collaborating. I even invited people to write their dreams on the wall. And I must say that every single thing I wrote up there came true. Yeah. Every single thing. I think that's testimony enough that whether you believe that sexual ecstasy can cure cancer or not. Um, I do know one person that doesn't have cancer anymore, and he's an orgasmic partner of mine. Whether it's because of our orgasm, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it is. <laughs> I do know that all the other dreams that came true are a direct result of positive affirmation. Um, positive affirmation while you're exercising. Positive affirmation while you're cooking your food. Positive affirmation when you fall asleep and you say, thank you, dear divine God, goddess, creator all the powers of the universe for giving me this day of life. And I know that I'm safe and held and loved. I know that that has uh, produced a life that I relish. And I'm um, really honored to be interviewed about it. And I, I hope that the answers that have come forth from Brian's questions uh, have resonated with a lot of people. And if the answers bring up more questions, then wonderful. I would, I would really encourage people to keep asking questions. Uh, 
if I'm not the person to ask or Brian's not the person to ask, ask the person that most speaks to you. Um, feel it in your heart what really feels true. Um, find the language that best expresses what really uh, keeps your heart alive with, uh, with life. One other healing question. Didn't you also do a ceremony that uh, Maya Kulpa was a beneficiary of? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you but you but you work a lot of you work with a lot of different people and and really made these shifts. So well, I'd love to tell that story. I feel like maybe the 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 Reader's Digest version, mm-hmm. right? So I had a friend that I really loved, and I, I found out he was in a coma. And it was precisely at the same time that the first ever play party was scheduled to be at my house. And Monique Darling was coming to town, um, and a teaching partner, I think it was Eugene. And they were going to have a play party at my house, and I was not interested in going to a play party at that time with people of all genders. I just, I just thought... I'm, I'm gay. I don't really want to go to a hetero play party. That was my attitude. So I left town and said, you can have my house. And just remember when you're making love to my ancestors, pictures are in the corner of the room. And just uh, look at them now and then and recognize that the love that you're sharing is a benefit to the people who came before us. And it's a benefit to people in this neighborhood. And it's a benefit to people who are coming in the future. But at uh, the last minute uh, from my quiet retreat out in the country, I felt a calling and I, I realized I had to go to that play party because I had found out that my friend was in a coma and I needed to let everybody know that prayer is an important part of sexual ecstasy because I somehow didn't think that would be announced. Even though it was announced that your sex is beautiful and this is not a sex party and you're welcome to play your violin or go to sleep or have sex, I thought maybe it would be nice to tell people, we need your prayers. So when everyone was asked their wildest dreams, what are your wildest dreams for this play party? You know, we heard a lot of things like, well, I'd really love for two women to get on either side of me and take turns like jacking me off and like really have a hot three-way for the first time. And then, then I heard a woman say, well, I would really love it if one man... Um, ate me out while uh, somebody else uh, kissed me. And then another woman said, I really would love to see two guys suck dick. So all these wonderful, beautiful sexual fantasies were expressed for what people saw as their wildest dreams come true. And then when they asked me, well, what's your wildest dream for the night? I said, well, my wildest dream already came true because all of you were having a play party at my house and I wasn't going to be here because I thought it was enough just to let you have your fun and I didn't really have any basic need to come here. But I decided to come because my friend is in a coma. And it was like a hush over the room, like, where are you going with this? And I said, while you're making love, And while you're having a really hot time, I'm going to be sitting here meditating with a heart on and breathing energy through this whole room. And I'd like you to join me in the visualization that all of your sexual ecstasy is vibrating the earth and like a hum, like a song, and that all the people around in this land are being blessed by your love. And while you're at it, 
visualize that that humming vibration becomes a little bit more of a vibration that's strong enough to ripple out from this place and go all across the continent to touch my friend who's in a coma. So we had the play party. It was beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I sat and watched with a heart on for a long time, but it was so good I ended up joining. <laughs> and I, I made lots of friends, and there were men at that party that had experiences with me that they didn't expect to have. And uh, a lot of people held loving witness, and we had a euphoric time. We said good night. We said thank you. It was the first of many, 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 many play parties that Monique facilitated there. But then uh, six months later, Robert Silver came to town and uh, he held a convocation of uh, Tantra practitioners in Asheville in the same room where we had had that play party, which was now my house for over a year. And uh, we were about to start the circle. And the door opened and in walked my friend who had been in a coma. Somebody had told me that he had started to come out of the coma and that he had to learn to talk and walk again. But I had lost track of the story in my travels and uh, I suppose I was just waiting patiently and knowing that someday I would know the outcome. And the outcome came that day, the next time, that next time that we all gathered in that room to talk about Tantra. Uh, he walked in and joined us and... Uh, He's fully recovered. He, he teaches all over the world. He's an amazing sacred intimate and uh, teacher of Tantra and sacred BDSM. And uh, he had moved to town from New Mexico. And he lived with me a, a year and a half while his house was being remodeled. Uh, the other day, we facilitated a men's play party in Asheville in honor of Independence Day. So... <laughs> <laughs> I wore my stars and stripes. I look kind of like Wonder Woman. Um, thank you. Uh, it's hard to tell that story in a short form, it's a but great I great story. Yeah, I think people deserve to. Uh, yeah. To hear that there are possibilities beyond our wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. You know. Is there anything else that you would like to share that you haven't said yet, or any like message that you feel is important to share that hasn't been shared yet? As we wind it down in the closing moments. Yeah, here it is. I walk the way of the religion of love. And I walk the way of the religion of love. And anywhere the camel of love will carry me. This is my path and this is my faith. And anywhere the camel of love will carry me. This is my path, and this is my faith. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Mm. Bye.